Hey everyone, I'm Sam Shaheen and you're listening to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. Right now, the North Face is attempting to do something that many have tried but few have succeeded in doing. Compete head-to-head with Gore-Tex in the waterproof breathable fabric category. So today we talk with Scott Mellon, the global general manager of Mountain Sports at the North Face, about this new fabric technology called Future Light. Scott and I dive into the idea behind Future Light, what sets it apart in the crowded waterproof breathable market, sustainability practices related to Future Light, some stories from athlete testing, and much more. Before we go any further though, I'm going to define a few terms that Scott and I will use throughout our conversation. If you're feeling confident with your technical apparel lingo, feel free to skip ahead. First, some terms related to testing and ratings of fabrics. Air permeability is a measure of how easily air passes through a textile or laminate. Typically, the more air permeable a fabric is, the more breathable it is. CFM stands for cubic feet per minute and is a unit of measure for air permeability. CFM is often used interchangeably with air permeability. Hydrostatic head is a measure of how waterproof a textile, laminate, or membrane is. The unit usually represents how much water pressure a sample can withstand before leaking. Some terms related to waterproof fabrics. Laminate refers to a composite sandwich of fabrics and or membranes that are bonded together to act as a single textile. Laminates are most common in waterproof breathable garments. Membrane. Membranes are what makes laminates waterproof. Membranes are typically non-textile, i.e. not knit or woven, materials that are designed to protect against water and wind. Membranes are often porous and or air permeable to increase breathability. Membranes are often made from PU, polyester, or EPTFE. PU stands for polyurethane. PU is a common material used for waterproof breathable membranes. EPTFE stands for expanded polytetrafluoroethylene. This is the primary polymer component in Gore-Tex membranes. Polyester is a synthetic polymer commonly used as the fiber in knit and woven textiles, but is also sometimes used to make waterproof breathable membranes. Face fabric refers to the outermost fabric layer in a laminate or multi-density weave. In waterproof breathable garments, the face fabric is used for durability against abrasion, it protects the membrane, and it is what the DWR coating is applied to. Fabric weight is a measure of mass per unit area of fabric. Often measured in grams per square meter, this is a good metric for understanding how heavy a textile will be and often correlates with how thick the textile is. Denier is a measure of the diameter of the individual fibers that make up a fabric. Generally, the higher the denier, the heavier and more durable the textile. However, the weave or knit and fiber material also play roles in the durability, hand feel, and other characteristics of a fabric. Yarn, a strand of individual fibers that are spun or twisted together to form a thicker, more resilient, cohesive string. Individual fibers are often extremely small and fragile, so mills spin those fibers into more substantial yarns that they then use to weave or knit a complete fabric. Warp and weft are the two primary yarn components of a woven fabric. Warp yarns run longitudinally along the fabric, while weft yarns run perpendicular to the warp yarns. The warp and weft structure can be tweaked in the weaving process to create a huge variety of finished woven textiles. Backer refers to the thin interior material used in three-layer and two-and-a-half-layer laminates that sits against your skin. Sometimes called a liner or scrim, not to be confused with the hanging lining of a two-layer garment, backers protect the membrane in a laminate and are made of a vast variety of knit, woven, and non-woven fabrics. There are several types of laminates. Two-layer laminates use two layers, consisting of a face fabric and a membrane or coating. These garments are often constructed with an additional hanging liner to protect the membrane and provide better on-skin comfort. 2.5 layer laminates use two layers and a printed laminate or half layer for membrane protection and on skin comfort. These laminates are often used on less expensive and or lightweight rainwear and often aren't as comfortable or durable as three layer laminates. 3L garments have a laminate using three layers, a face fabric, a membrane or coating, and a backer. These garments tend to offer the best performance when it comes to durability, weather resistance, and breathability and consequentially make up most of the high-end hard shell and soft shell market. 
DWR stands for Durable Water Repellent Coating. DWRs are typically applied to the face fabrics in two layer, two and a half layer, and three layer shells to keep the face fabric from soaking through with water. The DWR is the component responsible for water beating up on the surface of fabrics. Finally, PFC stands for Perfluorinated Compound. PFCs are often used in DWRs and are a source of environmental and human health concerns. Many manufacturers have already or are attempting to eliminate PFCs from their supply chains and products. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Scott Mellon. So today we are sitting down with Scott Mellon um, from the North Face. And we're going to talk a little bit about Future Light, North Face's new proprietary membrane technology. But first, Scott, to start off, can you explain a little bit about your background and how that has led to your current role at the North Face? Yeah, I'm a Colorado kid. I grew up in uh, Littleton, Colorado, and I grew up racing bikes and ski racing. And I was always a gearhead. Like I just loved hard goods. I loved the apparel. I loved all the all the kit that you needed for these sports. And ironically, went to Columbine High School where there wasn't a lot of bike racers or ski racers. And ended up going to school in Boulder. I worked at Spider Skiwear when I was a freshman in college. And that was the transitional year in ski racing from February, the Olympics in Sarajevo, Phil and Steve Mayer going around bamboo gates to the fall of 1984, where skiers were going through plastic rapid gates. And um, I invented the first hard plastic shin guards and arm guards for ski racing when I was 18 years old. And it started kind of a career path of um, product innovation. So I, I spent several years still in, in Spider when I was in college and then worked for Marker Ski Bindings for a number of years and then their, their snowboard operation called DNR for several years. And then I went to Benetton and uh, Benetton you think of as sweaters, but in the, in the middle nineties to, to late nineties, they owned the biggest sporting goods conglomerate in the world, Benetton sports system, which owned Rollerblade, Nordica, Kessley, Killer Loop, Oslo hiking, uh, Prince Tennis it was a powerhouse organization, and I ran the Nordica group for several years. Um, started the Nordica ski division, etc. Um, so I've I've had this long relationship with product through through big global brands, which I, I think is um, kind of a fun way to to move through the world. Yeah, that uh, sounds like quite the, uh, quite the impressive background. Did you race while you were at Sea Boulder? You know, I didn't. I was in a, in a car accident when I was 17 years old. Coming back from Aspen, of all places, I live in Aspen now. Um, and I had a really serious head injury and, and shin injury, and that was the end of my ski racing career. But I... Um, still have a passion for ski racing. I, I still follow it like a total geek. There's something interesting about, uh, you know, hard goods technology and ski racing that, um, is, is kind of informative around construction and, and technique and base finishing. And these guys are always pushing the limits. And, you know, I'm, I'm now an older guy that goes mostly uphill and I'm not that really into base finishing techniques, <laughs> kind of geek out on that stuff still. Cool. So uh, today we're here to talk about future light, though, not ski racing. Before we before we dive in and super geek out, can you give us a little bit, just kind of a brief overview of the technology? Yeah. So you know, if 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 you thought about technologies in the in the context of a brief, so I come both from the the product world and the and the marketing world. Um, you know, projects always start with a brief. And when we wrote the brief for Future Light, it was really based on a comprehensive understanding of, of what was endemic in the industry in terms of textiles, what 
our athletes were asking us for and a moment within, within the North face brand, you know, this big global brand, um, where people were willing to really dive deep in solving that problem for the athletes. And one of the things that I, that I'm super stoked about at the North face is we've, we've had this kind of advertising tagline athlete tested expedition proven for decades. And we completely utilized that tagline, that, that mantra, that philosophy to develop this product. So as a kind of a setup, we nailed the brief. Um, the brief was really centered around enabling our athletes to not move through layers during a, an ascent and a descent, which in some contexts can take six to 12 hours longer, keeping them dry, safe. And um, at the end of the day, we, we wanted to ensure that, that they were really dry next to skin. If you think about our elite alpinists, so just put a little picture in your head of Jim Morrison and, and Hillary Nelson and Lotsey, the worst thing that can happen at 8,000 meters is to get wet next to skin, have temperatures drop, have wind come up and go quickly hypothermic. It, it is a really catastrophic situation. Um, and so the theory behind future light was to allow our athletes to move in the maximum level of protection, but never have to take it off never have to dump a pack, never have to stop, always being able to continuously move. And in order to do that, in order, in order to achieve that, particularly in a, in a shell, we had to elevate the air permeability of, of the fabric. Um, we couldn't rely on existing standards, existing incumbent technologies to do that. We, we had to completely reinvent it. And that was a long process. Um, but as a, as an overview, <clears throat> again, what we were, we were trying to nail was, I just want to keep my shell on all day. I just want to rock in my shell because it typically offers the lightest weight, most extensive protection from weather, from wind, from moisture that you can, um, that you can wear but it has historically had these pretty big fallbacks, which is um, the CFM of the fabric, the air permeability of the fabric. And so we just went on a quest to nail that. So, I mean, to just kind of sum up, it seems like the idea was to focus on the breathability of the membrane through air permeability. And that was kind of like maximize breathability using air permeable membranes for the always on shell. Yeah, it's, it's, so if, if, if the brief is, I always want to keep my shell on that, that, that's what as a, as a product developer, as an innovator, as a, as a material scientist, you're all focused on you, you actually don't necessarily think about the membrane, Sam, specifically, you think about the package. And so the, the package is the three layer laminate. So you have a face fabric, you have a backer, you have a film. They all do different things to create a composite effect for the athlete. And we needed to nail all three of those things, but you, you can't just look at the three components uniquely. You have to look at the lamination technique. You have to look at the construction techniques. You have to look at the seam tape. It, it kind of goes on and on and on. So when you, when you, when you step out of, um, when you step out of the, the, the safe zone and you go into your own space, you have to look at every single detail. And that's a, it's a, it's a really big process to do that. And I'm, I'm super proud of our teams for, for having nailed it because it's, 
it's a lot of work. It's years of work um, to get to this point to launch Future Light. We'll definitely discuss each each component of the layup as much as we can. But to start, let's talk about the membrane. So judging by your marketing materials, it seems like Future Light is an electrospun polyurethane membrane. Um, can you guys talk a little bit about why you decided on this specific technology and what advantages these techniques and materials have over other tech like expanded polytetrafluoroethylene or monolithic polyurethane or polyesters? Yeah, it's um, there's a whole other world outside of <laughs> the outdoor industry in terms of um, film technologies. Uh, for us, it was a very illuminating experience, um, really to, to have the mind space and the, and the opportunity to, to really explore all of the potential options. And, you know, I'd, I'd be remiss in saying that when, when someone says nanofiber, that that's like a big wrapper on a huge, um, set of different techniques of using a polyurethane um, to, to create a membrane. And within electrospinning, which is the technique that, that we use, there's solution electrospinning, melt elect electrospinning, centrifugal electrospinning, force spinning, melt blown, spun bond, zeta spinning, xanosphere, magnetospinning, um, phase separation techniques. Like we, we we think that we're, you know, in a really advanced state in terms of, of the outdoor industry and, and waterproof breathables. But quite honestly, the 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 world outside of um, the outdoor industry is incredibly sophisticated. And what was really fascinating for us was to be able to tap into all these advanced techniques. Um, and it's just a completely different way to create a membrane. Um, to, to control it in a way that, that we never had, um, to be very consistent and precise, um, well, it was an amazing opportunity. The, the solution that we used this, this non PFC or PFC free, um, polyurethane polymer was completely optimized through our work um, to bond efficiently with our face and backer fabrics. So, and just, um, sorry to interrupt real, real quick. When you say PFC free, you're referring to the membrane itself and not any DWR coatings or? No, no, we'll, we'll touch on those, I'm sure at some point, but um, the, the solution itself is PFC free, which is in keeping with the overall project scope, which was to develop the highest performing fabric, but also a fabric with the, with the lowest environmental footprint. You mentioned this idea of the polyurethane membrane being designed specifically for bonding to your backers and to your face fabrics. Um, how, I guess, how, how are you able to to adjust the bondability to, of, of the membrane itself. Yeah. There's kind of two dimensions there, Sam. One is, um, we can, we can spin the nanofiber in different thicknesses and that creates tunability of the fabric. So that allows us to adjust MVTR and hydrostatic head. Secondly, um, we use a range of textiles in face and backer, all recycled polyester and nylon. And we had to do quite a bit of experimentation to get that polymer consistent in, you know, the, the total run of film to be able to bond consistently with the face and backer nominations that we needed um, from a commercial point of view. And then the lamination technique is a whole different process. Yeah, and I, I, I imagine there's a lot of uh, lamination talk and membrane talk we can't get into for uh, intellectual property reasons, but um, I do want to talk about tunability 
a bit, but first I, I, I guess from, from the consumer side, this seems relatively similar to polar Tech's Neo shell fabric. Um, can you speak to any differences between polar Tech's Neo shell and future light? We've been able to um, use this non-PFC polymer to spin at different weights. So we have a three gram, five gram, seven gram, eight gram, and nine gram film. That's by meter squared. The beauty of being able to do it at multiple weights is that you can tune the overall composite fabric package for different activities in the mountains. So think of, you know, downhill skiing or steep series programs. You need pretty high air permeability um, and high hydrostatic head because you're mostly sitting on a chairlift. Conversely, if you're an alpinist or a ski mountaineer, you need really high MVTR and CFM. And because you're moving so fast, you can use a lower hydrostatic head. And we're the first brand to be able to tune the actual film to the user's needs. Yeah, so that's that's really interesting, especially as an in-house fabric that you guys are using across your entire line. I mean, I think the tunability has got to be really important. And I guess one of my main questions about the tunability is, how how inverse do you see the relationships between air permeability and hydrostatic head? It's, it's not like a pendulum or a teeter-totter. Um, one doesn't go up and the other one goes down. And, and when I say that, think about the composite. So you've got a face fabric, you've got a backer fabric, and you've got the film. And so those three components all can be tuned individually to create either an overall higher CFM or lower CFM, an overall higher hydrostatic head or lower hydrostatic head. Um, so by changing the denier of the fabric and the warp and weft of the weave, we can control the air permeability in a really unique way. Um, I'm pretty proud of the work that our materials team did to really kind of figure out this triangulation of CFM, hydrostatic head, and MBTR to kind of create a magic solution for users. So then I guess how, how much of any of those individual properties, whether it's hydrostatic head, CFM, or MV, MVTR, are related to the membrane, kind of how we would traditionally think, you know, like membrane controls the performance and the face fabric is structural and the backer is comfort, blah, blah, blah. How how much of those properties are actually membrane and, and how how much of those properties are controlled by things like the backer and the face? You ask a really good question. I think the membrane is really kind of magic in that based on the different weights, you're, you're essentially in our, in our lowest gram weight, three grams per meter squared, you're at about 85% air. So when you, when you look at the membrane physically in your hand, it looks like a solid, but under an electron microscope, it's 85% air. When you move to the other end of our patent spectrum at nine grams, you're at about 72% air. And so by changing the density of the fiber, you can totally control both CFM and MBTR. I, oh, I have so many questions, man. <laughs> this is fascinating. Um, so when you're talking about changing density, you're not actually talking about changing the polyurethane density itself. You're talking about changing the fiber density, right? So there's more fibers per unit volume in a heavier weight fabric. But we also talked about, you were talking about being able to change the diameter of the fiber as well. Am I, am I right in assuming that both of those things change membrane to membrane? Yeah. So, you know, think about, um, think about the number of fibers that are laid down per meter squared. That's changing the total gram weight. So the more fibers, the less porosity there is. Right. So the material material 
itself is unchanged. The PU is completely optimized for our, our basically our yarn selections. And then so it it's it follows pretty logically for to me at least that this density of fiber in the membrane has a pretty direct proportionality to the CFM. Do you also see that the the MVTR track with the CFM one to one, or is is there kind of a different relationship there? Not unilaterally, because we're we're able to control both MVTR hydrostatic and CFM through our, our textile selections, um, and we spend a lot of time on textiles. So. You know, depending on, on yarn content, nylon versus polyester, or the combination of warp and weft, uh, rip, non-rip, and then the density of the weave against denier, you can open up uh, CFM or you can lock down CFM. So let me just make a corollary there for you, Sam. Think about a down jacket. So... A down jacket has typically a pretty low denier in its um, shell A and shell B textiles. The reason being, it's trying to control the movement of down, um, what we call downproof fabrics. We're trying to control the plumage and the feathers from leaking out of the um, out of the shell fabrics. The only air permeability in a down jacket is through the stitching, you know, when you stitch through shell A and shell B, but the textile itself has zero CFM because of the tightness of the weave. And so that's why when you're like rocking around in a down jacket, you immediately start feeling clammy. Like as your aerobic level increases in a down jacket, you pretty much want to take it off immediately because you know you're going to wet it out. It's the same in face and backer textiles. So by controlling the, the tightness of the weave or by loosening the density of the weave, we can change the air permeability of the face and backer textiles. How many different sets of face fabric membrane backer are you guys running for Futurelite? Yeah, good, good question, Sam. Um, in apparel, for fall 19, we're running six different textiles, uh, two in summit, one in flight and four in steep series. We're running an additional fabric, um, in our assault single wall tents. And then we're running two unique fabrics in our handwear for fall 19 that appear in the summit and steep series collections. Okay. And when you say fabric, you're talking about a unique face membrane backer laminate. That's correct. That's a lot. <laughs> well, here, here's the interesting thing. So like when you step out of buying fabrics out of a book, which is um, what the majority of the, the outdoor industry has come, um, come to grips with, and you, you're working at the yarn level, and then building your own packages, fabric packages. We actually developed 54 fabrics that were commercial and ready for fall 19. Those, those fabrics will continue into spring 20 and, and fall 20. Um, but when, when you have total control over the textile package, it's pretty amazing how many different unique solutions you can create quite quickly. Yeah, and probably a solution for um, most of the different unique problems each piece faces, I imagine. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it's also important to understand that dimensionally the North Face isn't just um, climbing mountains and skiing and running, but we have a, we have a really significant lifestyle business. Um, we, have a, we have a big footwear business. We have a very sizable glove business. In fact, the number one style by unit volume in the North Face is a glove. Um, we have to address all of those different needs within the... It's seriously not that fleece jacket. What's that thing called? You're thinking of the Denali, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, I just saw that on our website this morning. It's like the hero style this week. Yeah, I heard you guys sell like hundreds of thousands of units of those things. We sell a lot of those. Um, Thermoball is actually our biggest franchise. We, we sell in the seven, eight, nine hundred thousand unit volume range. Wow. 
So one of the one of the kind of constant issues that plagues these highly breathable membranes is this idea of fouling. Basically, dirt, grime, crap gets caught in the membranes and causes them to leak. How how does fouling affect these highly porous polyurethane membranes in future light and what sort of protection do you have in place for the membranes? You know, it's, it's kind of an interesting, um, you know, overall composite theory, Sam, when you, cause, cause there's one conversation that we haven't, um, or, or one part of the whole composite package we haven't talked about yet, which is the glue. And so, you know, what, what adheres these three layers of a uh, high performance textile together is glue. And in certain, certain techniques and in certain um, brands, you need a lot of glue to keep the face, the membrane, and the backer together. Because of the, the thickness of the membrane, the rigidity of the fabrics, there's a lot of shearing going on. And so you need the glue to, hold, to, to really help keep everything together. With the really light weight of our film and the nominated, you know, pretty light, uh, denier packages. We can use more of a dot printing process versus an edge to edge process to laminate these, these textiles. And what that enables is essentially an, an assurance of the, uh, overall air permeability because we're not locking down the porosity of the film with glue. Without, without the, the yeah, edge to edge glue, this kind of dot lamination process, which, which isn't, I mean, isn't really a unique thing or a brand new thing, right? Like there's, these processes have been out on the market. I mean, you can go and peel apart some of your old jackets and probably see it if for the people listening at home, I don't actually recommend doing that. Um, but you know, like when, when we used to, we used to get, you know, all these, these samples of fabrics, these, you know, ordering out of a book, right. And you could just go and peel them apart and see the little, see the little dots in there, um, which is, I, I think a, a really good, good method to, you know, in, enhance the, the CFM, but it does kind of keep that membrane exposed, you know, because where the, where there's no glue, there's, there's more exposure and things like that. Um, is that dot lamination process, uh, a bit of a, a bit of a durability issue for you guys? No, not at all. Um, you know, I think it's, it's important to underscore that all of these textiles adhere to our, our lifetime warranty. Um, something that the, the North Face installed years ago in the brand decades ago in the brand and our confidence in the durability of these textiles in these composite garments is high enough to adhere to all of our warranty standards. Imagine a publicly traded company like ours, we're stepping into a completely new textile platform. All of our testing, all of our durability tests, all of our wear testing with our athletes in the mountains around the world. We have, we have no lack of confidence in the durability. So, I mean, I, as, as a consumer looking to go spend a bunch of money on a jacket, I might be hesitant, right? Future Light is a brand new product. This is kind of first, first out in the market right now. The first pieces are, are out and we've seen other things like, for example, what we talked about earlier with NeoShell. First year with NeoShell, there was definitely some issues, right? You know, membranes were disintegrating. Um, there was, there was some leaking, all things like that. And they, Polartec came back and fixed it. But I guess to those, to those consumers who might be a little bit on the fence about being an early adopter of future light, what, um, what words do you have to comfort them? Having, having looked at the, a lot of textiles over a long period of time in my career, the, the thing that's, I think Sam, the the most illuminating is that, you know, we're, we're an end to end manufacturer. So in this future life project, we control everything from the chip to the yarn, to the face, to the 
backer to the film to the lamination process to the construction technique to the seam tape and to the final waterproof breathability testing and when you're just a fabric company you don't enjoy that complete linear relationship with the product so we we own it we own everything from the chip to the final product in a, in a package. Um, and that's quite unique in the outdoor business today. Yeah, no, that is, I think that is certainly true. Um, there are a few companies who have decided to control the whole thing vertically. And that's something that makes Future Light so, I think, so interesting. Um, and why we're super excited to get out and test in it as much as possible. I'm psyched for you guys to test it because... Um, you know, if, if, if the hundreds of journalists that we've had in it to date, if the hundreds, if not thousands now of retailers that we've had in it, if our global athlete team, um, hadn't had only positive experiences in it, we, we probably wouldn't be talking today. We, we went through three years of rigor to get to today's conversation. Um, and I, I'm proud of the work that we did to ensure that not only are athletes protected at the highest places, the most radical places in the world, but that our customers will feel that same benefit. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, speaking of testing, you guys obviously do a lot of lab and field testing to validate to validate new technologies. I think kind of, you know, there's there's some of these big highlight ones you see all over the internet, whether it's Jim and Hillary on Lotsi, which for like, oh my God, first of all, like, yeah, speechless about their accomplishment. Such an incredible, like, yeah, wow. Um, but regardless of, of the, you know, these kind of really high profile things, what what is what is the testing and validation process look like for FutureLight? Um, I would love to deep dive with you on this. Um, but first I have to apologize for, for pushing our call back, um, and our interview back yesterday. Um, Jim actually flew over here yesterday and, and we skied just, we skied for a couple hours yesterday. Where's my invite, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I had to push you back. I apologize. We we're working on another project and, uh, I needed to spend a couple hours with him. So, um, I thank you for rescheduling with me. But as it relates to, to testing, let, let's kind of talk about it in, in three chunks. Um, you know, the first is fabric testing. And so that's creating a composite textile and then evaluating across a you know wide variety of measures, CFM, hydrostatic head, MBTR, um, there's different scales, JIS, uh, ASTM. We use officially um, only outside testing, except for our durability testing, which we do internally. But any of the performance testing we do with independent third-party labs, we need consistency in laboratory setup. We need consistency in um, machine calibration. We need consistency in machine operators. And by using third-party operators at the fabric level, we're able to ensure that. Um, we pay for that process, but by paying for that, we also um, guarantee a certain rigor and the standards. So, um, you know, I can, I can deep dive into that a little bit. You know, what we're looking at is... Um, Fabric weight, water repellency on the AATCC22 scale, low range hydrostatic, high range hydrostatic, air permeability on the ASTM scale, MVTR on ASTM and JS. And then we've developed our own liquid integrity and test for composite garments. So the aforementioned were all at the fabric level. And at the composite garment, meaning fully constructed garment, we've developed a liquid integrity test that um, is measured against the ASTM 
413.59M-16A modified test. Wow, very, very impressed. How many of those standards do you actually know all the numbers for? Um, I'm fortunate that I have a spreadsheet in front of me right now. <laughs> we, believe me, we've got amazing lab technicians that, that understand um, and can recite them without reading the spreadsheet. Just, just out of curiosity, which ASTM MVTR standard are you guys using? That's uh, the E96B. The B, okay. So, you know, if you, if you think about testing, um, and as I mentioned before, separated onto three spectrums. One is fabric testing. You've got a body of different tests that you can measure fabric performance. Ultimately, it all comes down to complete garment testing and liquid integrity test. So, and, and just just to briefly interject, when you say fabric, you're talking about membrane, and when you're talking when you say composite, you're talking about a completed garment. Uh, that's correct. And and let me correct you: not just the membrane. The individual components, sure. So there's fabric test, there's constructed garment test, and then there's wear test being the third. And the wear test is what we subject um, constructed garments through our athlete testing process, where we get um, you know really rich feedback. So how uh, how how does your athlete testing process work? I mean, you said, you mentioned you've been working on Future Light for three years. Um, I guess in the current iterations of the product, how, how, how long have, have those been out in the field being tested for? So the, the first um, constructed garments we tested in January of 2018. Um, a colleague of mine here in, in Aspen, who's part of our ski mountaineering team, Nate Rowland, um, he and I tested four different fabrics over the period of, of seven hours um, up on Highland Bowl. Kind of a perfectly stable day. In the constant 20 mile an hour wind, overcast, so you weren't solar. Um, pretty cold, like 20F. And we just went through an incumbent jacket and then we had we had four new iterations of, of future light. So basically all the same silhouette, same size, but five different textiles. And we were, we were honestly blown away. Um, the difference in our new tech versus old tech. And then ironically, but maybe not ironically, he fell in love with the textile and I fell in love with the textile and we use those essentially as the base to push future light out into our commercial range. So one of those original textiles went into steep and one of those original textiles became summit series, um, and the iterations thereof. So from that initial test in January, um, I, me I mentioned Jim Morrison earlier. So I just recently signed Jim to the team in January and, of 2018 and Jim was um, in Aspen in, in February and he was telling me about his planned trip to climb Cho'o'u and I said why don't I, I, I make you a, a new kit like you I've just been supplying you with um, you know essentially off-the-shelf Summit Series goods why don't I why don't I make you something that I'm working on he was like great so I, I made a kit for him in, in my favorite kind of prototype future light. And, uh, and, and so it kind of became this legacy joke, um, that I made him this kit in teal green <laughs> and he was so pissed that it was teal. And he was like, dude, this is what my girlfriend wears time. And I was like, oh, you're going to love the fabric. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and, uh, Jim ended up summiting and skiing a new line on Cho'oyu and then a week later summited Everest and skied Everest um, on the Nepali side in future light in the teal kit in the teal kit I kind of knew then you know so this was like late April early May like all right we just tested this at the highest in the highest part of the world like he he never used a hemp suit on Cho'oyu, you know, a down one piece suit. He used a hemp suit 
on top of this future light kit for summit push on Everest because it was super cold that day and then took it off at high camp and skied from there in this future light. And I was like, all right, we're like, now we can start really rolling with this because we've got this, um, you know, I think really pure validation at the highest mountain in the world. And, and so I started making kit after kit after kit, um, kind of individually. So, you know, I was working really closely with David Lama at the time. Um, he was, he was working with me on a different project, just Ross Kelly, um, Griffin post, Angel Collinson, Nick McNutt. I just started rolling kits out to, to people and, and kind of managing all the data sets myself. And then we got to a point in June where, where we had nothing but favorable commentary. And so then we went into um, a really methodical batch test where we built 60 kits um, in two different fabrics. We sent those out to athletes around the world. We collect all that data, um, you know, via iPhone, uh, both in video and text into a database where both material and product development can, can access all that data. Um, and so we learned a lot through that round. And then after, after Jim came off of Everest, he was like, Hey, I've got this idea to go ski the Lotsi Kuar. And we had moved the fabric, you know, from, from that period of time in February when I made him the teal kit to, to this conversation in, in July, um, really far, both in terms of lowering the gram weight, increasing the, the MBTR and the CFM, um, and increasing the overall fabric durability that, that we had enough confidence to send him and Hillary in um, commercial kits up Lotsi. And, um, you know, to, to my knowledge, and, and I could be totally wrong, but as of, as of that time in, in October of 2018, they were the first people to climb in the fall an 8,000 meter peak without a hem suit. Um, they did it with lightweight, uh, what we call L3 down underneath their future light and then a belay jacket for the cold parts of the up. And then they just skied in future light and L3 on the way down. So they basically use the commercial summit series line entirely for warmth. That's amazing. Yeah. I took it. Um, I, I had those kits and I've given them to my, my marketing team and, there's a road show going around the U S um, right now and they've, they've got those kits, but um, I've, I've had those kits in my position for the better part of a year. And I was, I was blown away by how well they held up. That's, that's impressive. Did they, were, were, were they wearing down pants? They were underneath the future lights. So we make a style called the L3 down pant and L3 down jacket that they were wearing underneath their future light. But it's, it's, you know, it's a, um, it's a mid volume, 800 fill down jacket. So since, since Lotsi, which was last fall, right? September, 2018, what is, what is the, what is the, the, the testing been like for the last year? So as we, you know, rolled into optimizing commercial fabrics, um, and, and kind of locked down on, on a composite textile package for each one of the different steep series and summit series programs. Um, that was kind of a constant process of optimizing through the athlete team. Wherein, you know, we were, it, I, I don't mean it to sound anything other than a positive for the consumer, but because of the size and the scale of our business, we can turn fabrics extremely quickly. Um, and we can build constructed garments, in, in the, in the case of my work, um, if I submit a brief, a bomb and a tech pack, um, to the factory, I can, I can have a garment in three days here in Aspen. And so what that allows us to do is to move extremely fast to optimize these, these textiles and, and product packages. Cause you're always, you're always modifying seam tape and seam tape temperatures and, you know, there's, there's a lot of detail going into the full construction process. 
Um, but we were moving pretty quickly, you know, once, once we got line of sight on exactly the composite textile that we wanted, the build that we wanted in terms of the, the full garment, um, those were constantly going through the lab for fabric testing into constructed garment, into the field, coming back with quantitative and qualitative analysis from the, from the athletes. And then, um, we began our work with um, Underwriters Laboratory around January of 2019. Um, and that work, we'd, we'd been in conversations with those guys for about six months to set up um, what we believe is, is the first true independent liquid integrity test in the outdoor business. Um, typically garment construction fabrics are, are tested by the fabric manufacturers and we wanted to set up something that was completely independent and, and validated. Uh, UL, as you may know, is the largest independent testing organization in the world. They had set up a test, what I referred to earlier, ASTM F1359M-16A, <laughs> um, first responders tests. So for firefighters, um, if you're like rushing into a nuclear facility, um, they, they had created a test for those first responders and we, we used a modified version of that, um, as our complete garment, uh, construction tests. So basically we wanted to prove through the independency of UL that these garments were totally waterproof. Um, and I'm happy to say that everything that's in the marketplace today from the North Face featuring Future Light is 100% waterproof as validated by, uh, excuse me, by UL. Um, let's talk DWRs. Um, DWRs never seem to get the attention they probably deserve. Uh, can you talk about the DWR that Future Light is using? Yeah, we, we worked with a, um, a supplier because, again, as I, as I mentioned in the upfront, um, the, the goal was not to create simply the most highest performing fabric in the world, but, but I had a real personal commitment and the materials team had a real personal commitment to creating a product that had also the lowest environmental footprint. And so whether it was in the choice of, of recycled nylon and, and polyester chips that became the yarn um, for these fabrics, face and backer, whether it was ensuring that we had an inert form of, of polyurethane for the polymer for, for the film, um, down to our choice in, in factories for full garment assembly. You know, we, we were kind of constantly pushing for, for more sustainability, more sustainability, better choices. And, and when you think about DWR finishes historically, you know, there's, there's been a, a subtle migration from long chain carbon chemistry C8 as we know it, which is a really sticky form of fluorine that basically never leaves our water stream to a short chain C6 um, chemistry, which may one day leave our water streams to non-fluorinated chemistries, which historically have never been used in, in our most technical products. We felt really compelled to push, to push our suppliers, to push our materials teams to only present this product with a non-fluorinated PFC-free uh, DWR finish. And I'm proud that we got there. Um, it performs at the level of C6. Um, we're absolutely stoked where we got to in terms of an environmental point of view. And, um, I hope, and I hope this doesn't sound preachy, but I hope that this leads the rest of our industry in a direction. Um, you know, as the, as the biggest brand in the, in the outdoor business, I hope that when we can do this in our most pinnacle product, the product that Jim and Hill wore on Lotsi, that our athletes take to the highest places, the most radical places in the world. And, and they're all working with C zero chemistries. Um, that, that should be a, a call to action for the rest of our industry. 
to um, to follow, and that's that's good for the planet. Yeah, and I mean it is it is interesting. You know, we've 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 talked to a lot of the other big players in the space, and everyone's everyone's racing racing towards it. And a lot of people have a lot of you know non fluorinated DWR chemistries out there, and some people have a combination of both. And everyone's everyone's you know trying to figure it out. I, I think everyone understands that that these these long long chain fluoro, fluorocarbons are are, are 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 not the future, um, but. I'm psyched to see that you guys have eliminated PFCs from your DWRs, and I'm I'm psyched to see how how they perform too. Um, it's still uh, still still not snowing or raining here, but I've got a I've got a future light piece right in front of me that I've only taken out a couple times, and I'm I'm just like chomping at the bit. Um, this is a good transition to the next question, which is kind of the elephant in the room, just obviously Gore-Tex. Not only have you guys eliminated all gore membranes from your product lines, to my knowledge, you've clearly positioned FutureLite as sort of the primary competitor to Gore-Tex on the market right now. My first question is, is that a good idea? (laughs) Do you know how much money Gore has? (laughs) My second more important question is, how has dropping Gore from your lineup changed uh, design and marketing efforts at the North Face? Well, I think when... um... You know, let, let me just back up for, for a second, Sam, and just kind of contextualize um, my role and, and our vision for the brand. Um, I believe that as, as the leading brand in a marketplace, you have a responsibility to your consumer, to our shareholders, to our teams around the world um, to do things that are uniquely North Face disruptive in the marketplace and create clear differentiation between our brand and every other brand in the marketplace. And when you subscribe to that philosophy of, of differentiation, um, you're going to make these kinds of choices. You're going to, you're going to make choices to create your own technologies because you have the size and the scale and the capacity to do that. You're going to make stories that are uniquely relevant to the consumer um, based on, on consumer want and need. And, and this isn't just an, an athlete want and need, but, uh, validated by consumers around the world in, in the context of future light. Um, but, but this is the kind of work that, um, we are tasked with to, to create differentiation, to create newness in the marketplace, to present technologies that give consumers options. And when they are advanced enough and compelling enough to elevate our, our, our athletes to the top of the world, that's in keeping with, with our brand values and our brand DNA. Like we were born at 8,000 meters. Um, and when we can stand up new technologies that, that support our brand DNA, those are, those are omnipresent in the brand on a go forward basis. So, Yes, we've moved away from uh, historical library fabric suppliers. Yes, we've moved away from, um, you know, a comparative base against every other brand in the, in the outdoor industry because we believe that there's a better solution for the consumer. It had to have been terrifying to sort of step off, step off the proverbial plank and plunge into, you know, this uncharted waters. I'll just go back to that, you know, original test that I was referring to with Nate and I before. Um, like the difference was so big that it was almost, you couldn't go backwards. Like it it was so irrefutably better that we just had to keep going forward. Yeah. It's, it's hard to, hard to argue with that, with that kind of logic. I mean, I remember the first time air permeables really hit the, hit the market and how it just, how it changed everything for me. Um, I like, I wrote all these articles on blister and I was freaking out. I was like, this is going to change the world. And, um, it didn't slow, like things, things progressed really slowly. And now I think it finally is. So, um, I'm really excited to see higher CFMs, higher MVTRs and to see, to see where it all goes. So like I said, I'm really excited to, to, to test a bit, but I still have one more question. (laughs) We've talked a little bit about sustainability just in general, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of highlight and at one time the general sustainability initiatives that are that are built into Future Light. 
I'm stoked to have a chance to talk about this because um, I think it's it's as big as the performance side of it. Um, you know, when, when you step out of, of buying out of library books um, and, and you can work all the way down to the chip level where you can nominate um, either virgin synthetics or, or recycled synthetics, it's pretty empowering um, to be able to make those, those choices. Um, and so we nominated 100% recycled uh, chip, which went into our yarns. We were able to completely control the, the process of weaving um, our, our end fabric bodies, the lamination process, um, the finishing process of the textiles, um, whether that was the DWR chemistry or we have a, we have a new plasma technique that cleans the fabric as it, as it moves kind of, it's a pre-cleaning technique before it moves into finishing that subsequently uses 40% less time and, and energy in the finishing process. Those unique innovations, um, you know, I believe have yielded probably the most sustainable three-layer fabric built today. And, um, you know, it's something I'm pretty proud to talk to my kids about, that we can go from within our brand, you know, two years ago, 100% synthetic product, virgin synthetic product, to, um, I believe, an industry-leading uh, sustainable product. That, that's a big migration for a brand to go through. Um, and I'm super proud of the teams for pushing, you know, the supply chain teams and materials teams, the design teams, things can go awry in the, in these kind of, um, projects pretty quickly, you know, either based on, on textile performance or even sometimes margin. Um, but we were able to keep the integrity of the project and, and keep a line of sight on, on building high performance, sustainable textiles and, as I mentioned before, Sam, I hope that's something that the industry can learn from. Like we can do this as, as an industry and we should do this as an industry because our, our playground is the outdoors. And, and if, and if we're not leading that, um, sustainability effort from a product manufacturing point of view, who else is, we have to do it as an industry. I'm really excited about the, the sustainability of this. And for the biggest reason I'm excited about it is because of the scale of it. No one is making quantities like, like you guys are going to be making of, of, of this stuff now and in the future. And uh, that's, that's kind of where, where we, you know, fight a big battle on sustainability. It's easy to be like, oh yeah, you know, we have X, Y, Z niche little piece that we move a couple thousand units of, but volume and this stuff is where, where I think the needle is actually going to move. So good on you guys. We, we sell a lot of shells for sure. Um, we sell a lot of tents. We sell a lot of gloves. We sell a lot of footwear. Um, but, I, but I would be remiss in not pointing out that we have also converted our biggest um, product platform, Thermoball, to 100% recycled Shell A, Shell B, and insulation. Oh wow! That's a product line that um, is five times bigger than than Futurelight in current state. Um, Fall nineteen that hasn't really gotten the halo effect of of our efforts, mostly because as a brand we've been driving Futurelight. But I, I think when you combine the two things, Futurelight and this uh, synthetic insulation technology called Thermoball, it's a big effort. Oh, Scott. Well, this was a great talk. I, uh, I have so many more questions, but it's okay. I think we'll just have to, we'll have to get on the podcast some other time. Next time there's something interesting, interesting to talk about. And uh, maybe I'll save those questions for then. In January, I'm going to debut an entirely new head-to-toe um, mountaineering project elite 8k mountaineering project called the advanced mountain kit so happy to do another podcast with you see that that sounds like a great excuse for me to schedule an expedition to to go do some product testing she come to aspen 
<laughs> is is there a lot of 8k 8k peaks in aspen <laughs> we can get you close to 5k cool yeah that's good for me um <laughs> well anyway scott uh thanks so much for your time really appreciate it and like i said looking forward to testing future light and a being it against a bunch of the other stuff in the market and uh, mostly just looking forward to ski season starting here in colorado so um thanks for your time and Hopefully you get to ski as much powder as we'll get to ski. <laughs> well, Sam, I, I thank you for your time and uh, thanks for your interest in geeking out with me on textiles. Um, I hope we get to ski together this winter. Yeah, that'd be great. Let's, uh, let's try and make it happen. Right on. That's it for this episode of Gear 30. Thanks to Scott for the conversation, Luke Alley for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. If you're enjoying these Gear 30 episodes, please spread the word to your gearhead friends. Be safe out there, and we'll talk to you again next week. 